Many people whom I know who like turned out to be abroad or just away from their home in other cities of Ukraine, somewhere on the West, no one has a feeling how deep you should root, how long you will spend there. And yeah, this feeling of uh, not knowing your future, of uh, indefinity. It's something that stresses a lot, but I would say that this uh, approach, which I described like day by day, week by week, it is something that uh, helps you to stick with the moment and not to worry about uh, something in a long-term perspective. Hello and welcome to a new episode of the Yellow Van Stories. I'm your host and driver, Bastian. Thank you for making the time to come on board with us today. We've been waiting just for you and kept your usual seat by the window side. After Russia's invasion of Ukraine, the topic of the second season became very clear to us. We decided to invite Ukrainians into the van to share their stories with us and to learn more about Ukraine's cultural identity. Because too often it has been appropriated by a chauvinistic Russian narrative. And the same narrative now serves as a pretense to the war. Supporting Ukraine, in our opinion, therefore has a very strong cultural dimension as well. Fonzi is in first gear already and we are good to go. So buckle up and sit back, because today we're going to a rather unexpected place, to Sharm el Sheikh in Egypt, to pick up Anastasia. Hello and welcome to a new episode of the Yellow Band Stories. Here with us today is Anastasia Sancharovska, a producer, director and video editor from Kyiv in Ukraine. Very happy to have you with us today, Anastasia. Thank you, Bastian. Happy to be here. Very nice that you found the time. This has been some time in the making. Um, so we have finally lined our schedules. That's fantastic. And I'm very, very happy that you found the time today. Uh, I will just give a quick introduction to the listeners of what you do, uh, a little bit of an outlook on our conversation today, and then we'll dive right in. How does that sound? Yes, best end, like ready to hit. <laughs> Anastasia Sancharovska is a producer, director, and video editor from Kyiv in Ukraine. She originally studied system analysis and maths, but turned to her real passion film soon after finishing her studies. She has been working as a producer, director, first AD and video editor ever since. In February 2022, Anastasia was in Egypt for a three-week holiday, but got stuck there due to Russia's invasion of Ukraine. She has been living there ever since. We'll talk about her early beginnings in filmmaking, why she chose film over maths, the Ukrainian TV scene, and her life in Egypt. And, as always, a lot more. Welcome to the Yellow Van, Anastasia. So, where are you at the moment, actually? I'm in Egypt, in Sharm el-Sheikh. It's a small hmm. uh, town uh, in uh, southern Sinai. And um, how how is life in Egypt? To just start with a very you know broad question right away. Uh, actually, I would say it's uh, kind of the opposite to the life in Europe or in Ukraine because they have another mentality, another approach, another, what was the most uh, challenging for me personally, they have another attitude to time. So, for example, uh, I know that Germans are very punctual and uh, Egyptians are just on the opposite side because uh, they can be late for two hours, four hours. I, I understand. I mean, I, I wouldn't say that I am 
necessarily a, a picture book German. I, I also am known to be late sometimes. I do very much differ. The funny thing is that I, I, I differentiate very much between my private time and professional time when I'm uh, you know, somewhere professionally. I'm always there ahead of time generally. But in my private life, I, am, I, I, I sometimes give a little more slack. So I, I think I, I have both worlds. Um, also, I know it, this is this can also be a cultural thing. I agree. Um, so, is that something that you've gotten used to, or is it something that still annoys you quite a bit? Uh, I would say that I'm starting to accept uh, this funny fact and this part of their personalities. But uh, sometimes, yes, I still. Uh, I would say I'm okay with it in personal life, but if I know that we have agreement with someone. Uh, about shooting and uh, my boss is running late. So yeah, if he's very late, it is annoying <laughs> because I still feel responsible for our agreements or something like that. Although it's not my word, it's his word. Still, I don't, I'm not very comfortable of being late, especially knowing that sometimes you will need to like work with foreigners or with people outside of the country and they have more classical attitude to time and to scheduling to timetable. <laughs> I like how you put it, classical attitude towards time. I like that. <laughs> That's a very classical attitude towards time. Absolutely. Well, yes, but I know, you know, I also, I, I grew up in Africa, um, in South Africa, to be exact, actually. Um, and, and, and I've been in some place. And yeah, and time is always, it's, it's a very cultural thing, actually. That's very true. The perception of it and, and how you how you how you deal with it absolutely um so before we get deeper into that i would very much like to actually start with you first um your journey into filmmaking because like i said in the beginning already you studied uh, system analysis and maths and it's quite a long stretch from system analysis and maths to filmmaking uh, how, how did that happen would you care to just describe that journey a little bit for us uh yes sure um like basically i finished my bachelor degree which was mess, and I wasn't uh, exactly sure what to do further in my life. I already had a part-time job as uh, economist in bank, so I was combining it with my studies. Uh, but I kind of didn't uh, feel that it is something I'm looking forward to do my whole life. And I already persuaded that uh, IT and uh, software engineering is also not uh, my cup of tea. And pure mass is not something you can really use to build career or to earn money unless you want to make it like uh, science or, like, or or unless you want to become a teacher or a lecturer. Uh, also not something I was looking forward to. So basically, uh, I decided to continue my studies and to take some more time to decide what to do in my future. But in, in the meantime, I accidentally... Um, found out that there is uh, a film school in Kyiv and uh, that they have an like open door day. And I went there and I understand that I want to continue in this direction, but I wasn't ready to start my year program immediately or to do something like big to take more responsibilities. Uh, but they started organizing some events, like uh, maybe once a week, some lectures for everyone and uh, I started attending and that was something I was looking forward really because I had my studies, I had my job at bank, uh, sometimes I was doing some sports, but uh, basically all my passion and all my concentration was going to these uh, lectures, these meetups, these master classes or whatever is organized. 
actually, my initial plan was to finish my uh, magistery, uh, like my master program with system analysis, which takes two years, and then uh, go to film school. <laughs> but eventually, I couldn't wait longer than one year, so I uh, enrolled into film school, and uh, I was finishing my master degree at the same year. What was it about film that that was it like? Yeah, this is this is definitely something other than maths or system analysis. Something that I can see myself do long term. Was there like a trigger or something? Like did you like a film? I don't know. Like some something that triggered it. Mm, I don't know what exactly triggered because there was a bunch of facts. Basically, when I am thinking about even my uh, like uh, last years of school, I was thinking about. Uh, doing something in this direction, but I wasn't very confident. And uh, I was uh, thinking that it's too early to start when you're just 17, you have no like experience in life and you haven't seen much. And it was like step by step. Uh, I was getting, uh, I was getting to know better to this profession, to this industry, to some of details I didn't even think about that it's not only Uh, being creative and else. It's also about business. It's also about you need to uh, stick with demands of uh, producers and uh, with demands of the industry, with uh, something that you will be able to sell afterwards. And sometimes it's exhausting. It takes much more hours than a normal office day. And it doesn't have this uh, like boring but easy schedule, I would say. And afterwards, uh, I start like during this master classes. I filmed some short exercises, and I understood that I, like, I really feel good during the process. It inspires. Although even sometimes, for first first times, I was really stressed, and sometimes awkward and didn't know what to do. But still, like a couple of hours later, I was starting feeling myself more comfortable and more confident, and I started enjoying. And even at the end of the day, when you're completely exhausted and uh, you have no power afterwards, when you start editing or when you recollect what you've done, when you realize that this is like like a small child of yours, it's just something inspiring about it. I'm not sure if I'm if, if I didn't if I did actually answer your question because maybe it's not something I can explain rationally, but it's more about some inner feelings, some emotions. And uh, you just feel that it is right for you, that it's something you want to do. No, oh, I think you absolutely answered the question. I mean, you you answered with passion. I mean, obviously, this is something that um, that that goes a long way for something that you will do for the rest of your life, I believe. So I think uh, I think there's probably a lot in that. So uh, that's um, do you do, what was your first paid job? that you got after you realized this is something I, I want to get into. I want to stick with this. My first paid job. Actually, I would say uh, there were some very small jobs. Uh, once I edited uh, a short video for some uh, center of uh, kids development, just like, like a, I edited smart video for a kid's concert. I think that was the very mm -hmm. first job. and But it was even before this uh, full course in film school. At first, I took a short course on video editing, and this is something I found after that. Yeah, and also another small small paid job was uh, a clapper girl, like two days of being a clapper girl on a documentary project. It was almost at the same time when I was um, 
finishing my diploma movie. But uh, the like mm-hmm. long term job, the uh, the normal job uh, which I got was assistant producer assistant. Uh, and yes, it was something I was doing for about a year, and it was maybe months later or almost immediately I finished my film school. So yeah, I would say this was my first normal paid job. And um, you also like when you did film school, you obviously met a lot of people, right? Is that is that also one of the things that are valuable about actually going to a film school that you connect, you build a network, you have people that share the same passion? How was that for you? Definitely, yes. You meet a lot of people. Uh, but uh, one detail, uh, both me and my friends, uh, everyone was thinking, okay, I will go to film school. I will meet famous directors, famous producers, and Dallas and Dallas and Dallas. But the idea, okay, you have lectures, you have some people who come to uh, share information with you or who guide you all the time. But mostly you meet with the same beginners as you are. And it's not a bad thing, yeah. but it just like, uh, I don't know why all of us have these expectations, because it's not exactly <laughs> what happens. Uh, but you, you build a great uh, connections with these guys. And uh, even, uh, you know, you met this person and after a year or two, you're meeting already, uh, like, y- you meet uh, them on the bigger projects, you meet them on the shooting, like, on the shooting set and... Uh, Actually, if you're really passionate about it, you will uh, continue moving in this direction and uh, you will deal with the same people, but uh, they will become professionals after quite a short period of time. So it's not, it's not that you should think, oh, they don't know anything. You also don't know anything, but give it like two years <laughs> and you will reach another level. To, to be to be honest with you, I sometimes feel like I still don't know anything as well. And I've been doing this for 15 years, a lot of it. I mean, so I, I feel there's still so much to learn and uh, so many new things that uh, you want to kind of bring to fruition or ideas that you have that require new uh uh, new new talents new new everything so I, I i sometimes feel like you know movies are and filmmaking and also photography they're always new beginnings um and the more certain you are of course you you can build up on on some experience you've gathered over the years but but it's also that you shouldn't be too safe feel too safe about what you know but to also realize with every project there's a lot more to discover at least that's how it is for me how is that for you I would actually agree because uh, every new project was bringing some uh, new point of view for me or new tasks or, uh, I don't know, new format or whatever. And of course, it's normal to feel that you don't know anything. I don't think it is possible to learn anything uh, because it's creative. It's a very wide, broad. It's a combination of your knowledge and your talent. And uh, I just wouldn't uh, say that you need to stick with something uh, that, okay, I can do this, 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 and it's enough. You will always find a new ways to develop yourself to maybe to switch from one profession in filmmaking to another or to combine two professions to, because for example, um, like my passion is directing, but understand that uh, to be a really good director, you need to know uh, quite a lot about screenwriting quite a lot about uh, acting and working with actors and quite a lot about how camera works. So it's basically director of photography or cameraman job. And uh, there is even a point of view that most famous directors uh, are 
stronger in one of these fields, in one of these three fields, than in other. So basically, yes, to become a good director, you need to combine uh, all the other professions around it and uh, to feel professional enough to like to make your movie of a really yes. good quality. Yes, that's that's a very valid point. Uh, it's like you are, you know, you, as the director, your main focus is the story, obviously, and to bring it all together. And then everybody else has a special focus on their task, um, which is why, you know, why I think also what you said earlier or what I read in what you said is the multi, the many layers in filmmaking is also something that you that you love about filmmaking. So this is this is a part of it. And I think a director brings all the layers uh, kind of together, even though, uh, you know, I'm a documentary filmmaker. I, I and I, I'm not pretending that documentary filmmaker is the same as a feature filmmaker because it's 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 a different process, even though obviously some of the technology is the same and stuff. But but even that is not always the case. So there's definitely a difference there. Um, but, um, you also said, or I know about you that you worked in the Ukrainian TV scene, uh, for some time. Um, what, what series were you a part of? Uh, it was the trace. Uh, it's a detective TV series about a group of, let's say policemen, but not exactly policemen, a special forces. Uh, who investigate mm -hmm. crimes, who catch uh, the criminals and who make some like you know experiments with evidences and all of that. So yeah, I think it's similar to this detective stories which uh, I'm pretty sure every country has on TV. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, for me it was uh, pretty much uh, new and challenging because it was uh, like the biggest project I've ever uh, participated in. It was about 40 people on the set every time and i was first ad first assistant director and uh, my tasks included managing these people and uh, taking care of timetable of everything to happen in time of not being late of uh, checking if uh, everyone is ready for the next scene and uh, this sort of stuff Yeah, first AD is a very demanding job, right? For everyone who's not aware of a first assistant director, it's a very demanding job. Like you are always available actually to everyone, right? Like uh, whenever something comes up, yeah. uh, you are you are one of the first in lines to make sure that it all works out. So it's a very it's a very demanding job. How long did you do that for? Not very long actually, I would say months and a half or something like that. Uh, but it's actually right. quite exhausting because uh, normally on this kind of series, uh, uh, no one uh, no one ever has uh, enough money to give enough of shooting days, and uh, that's why people are always in a rush, and they're trying to yeah. do. For example, in our case, normally it should be eight shooting days per two series because uh, like actually two series production cool. was uh, always combined into. Uh, one we saw, we call it pool. So one pool includes mm -hmm. uh, shooting, uh, like preparing to shoot and shooting of two series, two episodes. And normally there should be eight shooting days, but we had seven. So from the very beginning, everyone understood that uh, we need to be like faster. We need to cut on some preparation. We need to combine some stuff together and all of that. So yeah. Was pretty much challenging. 
Okay. That brings me actually to another question I would very much like to ask you if you could describe the Ukrainian TV scene a little bit. I mean, I know this is a very broad question. Uh, it, it definitely varies, you know, also depending what the series is uh, and, and various other variables, I suppose. But uh, what what is it like, like from financing also, is there like, a, is there like public money that goes into TV series, for instance? Is it all private uh, money that goes in there, like private channels? How is it, how does it work? Um, can you give us a bit of a description, like a, like an assessment of it? Uh, yes, I understand the question. Actually, it depends. Uh, it could be both. Um From the one hand, we have uh, some institutions, uh, governmental institutions, uh, then uh, which uh, give f uh, finances uh, for film production, or sometimes also TV series production. Uh, there are open pitchings, uh, so basically it's your chance to prepare all the documentation of your project, uh, like the screen, um, the screenplay, and uh, the budgeting. Uh, the crew and all of that, and you apply for uh, for financiation. Uh, you have a chance to protect your project, to tell about it, to present it, and after that, uh, you have a chance to actually get uh, this money. Uh, from another hand, uh, there are many TV channels, maybe around five or eight uh, big enough and interested enough in uh, producing their own TV series. And uh, basically what they do, they produce their own products. So they hire the screenwriters. Uh, basically, it, I would even say they hire the productions and production finds the screenwriters, the directors, and uh, creates the crew who will shoot uh, the TV series on demand of the TV channel. So it could be both mm. private money and governmental money. All right. And um, how, how would you say, is, is it, do you have a rich TV scene for series and, and such? Is it, do you have a, a wide variety? Is it, um, is it quite small, um, for instance, like with very limited series? How do you see it in compared also to, you know, other TV landscapes, if you're familiar with any, I don't know, like Germany has obviously a large TV scene because it is a big and large country and a wealthy country right so so how does it how does it compare to that like um not not necessarily just to the german tv scene i know that's very specific but mm -hmm. in general if you have any any references uh well of course our tv series production is not that big as american for example which we all know <laughs> which and, everybody uh, knows exactly <laughs> yes yes uh i mean basically uh I will give a little bit of historical perspective. Before 2014, gladly, gladly. Uh, Ukrainian, yeah, yeah, Ukrainian TV market and uh, movie market was uh, generally making uh, this kind of products for uh, Russian market mostly. Unfortunately, in 2014, uh, war started. Russia entered Crimea, Donbas, and we also had a revolution. So basically, this was the year when. Uh, the separation in many industries began and also including film industry. So from that moment on, uh, we started creating our own movies and uh, also our own TV series. Uh, okay. At first, of course, mm -hmm. uh, when something is just starting, it's of not very good quality, of not very high level. Uh, and mostly we had quite stereotypical TV series. Mm, it actually depended a lot on the channel. Most channels had... Um, Romance, you know, melodrama about a woman who is uh, 
who is suffering because of her husband or because she's single and uh, like how she's overcoming all of this. Uh, there were some men's channels uh, who sh- who filmed action, who filmed uh, fighting, who filmed criminally like criminals, detective series, and all of that. Uh, I would say recently, maybe during last like three years around, uh, channels uh, started experimenting. They started shooting some uh, teens TV series or. Uh, Detective, but you know, not not stereotypical when you have uh, you have a new crime each each episode, and you have the team which uh, like works on these crimes from episode to episode. Like uh, they started changing formats, uh, and uh, sometimes sometimes they even got better finance uh, financiation, and so they could be more cinematographic, uh, more inventive in the plot. So basically, it's uh, like what I see from uh, TV industries, for example, not only TV, from film industries, both in Ukraine and, for example, in Egypt, there is always a stage when you do a lot of bad quality projects, but you just need to make them a lot and uh, for everyone to get experience directors, screenwriters, yes. cinematographers. So at, fir- at first you try, at first you make mistakes, you study from these mistakes. And then afterwards, from 100 bad projects, there will be five good. From 100 projects, yeah. there will be 10 good. And so basically that's how it built. And I would say we're still on this, uh, in the middle of this process. Unfortunately, unfortunately, because of war, it will not be as fast as it could have been. Because as I, as I told, just uh, two or three years before, it started becoming good quality and it started uh, we started having mm-hmm. these projects which we could present. And uh, also, Ukrainian movies were presented on Berlinale, on Venice Film Festival. Yeah. 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 I'm sure that is taking. I mean, ob- I mean, I'm stating the obvious, but uh, with with the war, I'm sure that this is uh, first of all. I mean, even to say that is a major setback. It's a major setback for everything. But like you just said, of course, as well. Like it's not just um, it's not just the money. It's not just the infrastructure. It's also that you have a running history of movie making to make the mistakes and have the teams in place to create better and better content, right? This is how I understood what you said. So this is very, very yeah, important yeah. to have a line of progression in a way. Um, and uh, and now there has been this cut. Do you know at the moment how, how it is in, in Ukraine, in, like film and, and TV production? Is there, how much has it suffered? How, how much is there still going on at this moment? Actually, I see both bad and good news. For because, for example, uh, some of the people I know, my cameraman, uh, he said he didn't have much projects for like previous year, but he's hoping that with this spring, with this season, maybe he will have more. Um, I also mm-hmm. know uh, a girl who is the head of art department, and actually she was working on commercials, on uh, short movies, on. Uh, music videos but now i see that uh, she mostly works on some you know youtube projects so basically it's not the level of the projects she used to have before war but at the same time i see that uh, some tv series which were paused uh, during uh, first year of war uh, people at first people were waiting what will happen next uh, 
like, should they continue or should they wait and it will come back to normal? But I see that they started, uh, they resumed producing this TV series with new limitation, of course, because uh, we still have electricity shortcuts. So now if you, yeah. if you're going to shoot, you always need to have a generator not to be cut out of electricity just in case. And uh, you can't go on uh, top floors because you need to use generator from the window just in case, or you can't be stuck, like, and not to be stuck in the elevator. Uh, and of course, uh, we also have um, like some restrictions uh, during nighttime. No one should be at the streets. I don't remember from what hour till what, but approximately from yeah, 11 or 12 at night. Yes, to five or yeah. six in the morning. So always, also, if you're planning a night shift, you should be aware of this and you can't, uh, like, you, you need to adjust. And you, sometimes Obviously. you have these uh, alarms, air sirens, uh, when everyone should uh, like go to, sh- to shelter. And sometimes it takes half an hour, sometimes it takes two hours. And, uh, like, basically, yes, you're... We will be two hours late during your shift if you spend two hours in the shelter. But like, what can you do? It's not something you can predict or not something you can schedule, unfortunately. Yes. And and obviously, just to point out, not that it's really needed, but this obviously goes for every profession, everything that is going on in Ukraine. Now we just have a focus here on the film and TV yeah. industry, right? Because that's what you you happen to know that mm-hmm. very well, and you you that's that's where you are coming from. But this is the same for every profession, for every job, everything that needs to be done in Ukraine right now. It cannot just happen. There will always be these interruptions. There will be power cutouts. So whatever. Every whatever is happening to move Ukraine forward is just constantly stalled and 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 delayed and 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 that in itself is also must be incredibly painful uh, to to watch and 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 experience every single day. Um, I would like to go with you to um, how you ended up in Egypt, like to that 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 story why you are in Sharm el Sheikh now and how that all came about. Um, so can we maybe start uh, together at the point where you decided to take a vacation in uh, Sharm el Sheikh? So when you landed there and you had your your vacation, was looking forward to vacation after, uh, you know, I'm sure you had been working a lot. Um, and what happened then? Uh, I arrived for three weeks. Um yeah, with a suitcase, to, and still this suitcase is uh, the, the only things I have. <laughs> Basically, yeah. I don't know. It's uh, yeah, I, I'm slightly distracted, but for me, it's just so funny because uh, at home I always had like you know a, a lot of stuff and like equipment, uh, like computer, like a lot of clothes and all of that, and uh, I never thought that I can live just with one suitcase of things, but now I do, and. It seems, you know, not that bad. It seems good. Like, you don't need to take care of a lot of stuff. And all of that. Yeah, but uh, coming back to, to my vacation, yes. Uh, I arrived to Egypt on February 9 in 2022. Uh, so basically, mm-hmm. it's two weeks before the war started. When was your departure scheduled? Uh, 2nd of March. And I actually, yeah, I was thinking that I will come back and uh, I was already um, like uh, negotiating about my next job. It was in a film distribution company. Uh, it was also like a new field for me. Uh, but uh, then the war started and during the first three or four days, I was just paralyzed. Uh, I didn't know what to do. I was basically, I was sleeping 
Ukraine, reading the news, and that was the only thing they could do during the first three or four days. Uh, then when the first shock uh, left me, I started thinking like what to do next, uh, what to do for, like what to look forward. Because at, at first everyone was thinking, okay, maybe it will take like a couple of weeks or a month. Let's see what happens next. Maybe everything will be solved somehow. And uh, I don't know. I, I I heard that there is there are three reactions to stress, uh, like stay, hit, or run. And I think my reaction was stay. I just I thought, okay. I already spent here some time. I uh, slightly got used to this lifestyle. And uh, it was February and beginning of March then, so it was still pretty cold in Europe. And I didn't have like much warm clothes with me. I came here in sneakers and blazer jacket. So I decided that, okay, I will just stay for some time here. I will try to figure out what to do. So I, uh, like, I rented an apartment for another month. And a uh, couple of weeks later, uh, I was talking also with my parents and uh, I was reading a lot of uh, forecasts, let's say that. And uh, everyone was uh, now say- was then saying that uh, maybe it will not finish fast. So it's something that we will live with for a long time. And I was uh, thinking, okay, what to do next? Of course, basically. Sorry, can I just, Anastasia, just, just very quickly, because this is interesting to me. Because in the beginning, you know, everybody here, everybody here. I mean, what what I'm saying, but a lot of people outside of Ukraine, a lot of voices said this war will be over soon, but in the sense that Russia will run over Ukraine, occupy it, and the war will be done. Right? Everybody was predicting Ukraine will go under and Russia will have its way with with it, basically. Now, luckily, that did not happen. But at the time, just after it happened, how yes. were those conversations that you had with your parents? What What did you think? Did you also think that you know Russia is going to occupy Ukraine and then we will see? Or how did you talk about it? Uh, like when I'm saying uh, that everything will finish soon, it's not what I meant that Russia will occupy Ukraine. Uh, I mean that maybe they will negotiate upon something and they will make a truce. Yeah. Uh, also, I, to be honest, I wouldn't say that I was able to think rationally back then because it was just like, you know, I was yeah. worried about my mom who was constantly, like she was saying she's okay, but uh, at, at first first days, first maybe week is the most complicated because it's a, it's a shock and it's not something you used to. Because now, okay, air alarm. Maybe I should go. Maybe I shouldn't go. It's okay. But then you ju- you're just stressed. You're not. It's not something you expected. You have no experience what to do in this situation. Should you hide in the like underground parking? Should you hide after two walls? What to do if uh, shops don't work? What to do if all the products in the shops are finished? Like and uh, also. My dad uh, volunteered uh, to go to the army and I was worried about him because like, actually he's uh, already 56, already 57, was 56 then. So uh, like you have a lot of stress to procedure and uh, I, uh, I wouldn't say that I was able to think rationally what will happen next. I, okay, I could read, I could read, I could listen to what other people say, but I wouldn't say I made any more any conclusions myself 
because even before everything started, uh, many people were thinking that it will. Many people uh, were saying that yeah. Russia will invade. Basically, in January, I think yes, in January, in January there was this like common stress that Russia is collecting uh, troops near our borders. But then in February, they yeah. started moving uh, these troops away, and everyone can kind of burst out. And I even remember that I was sitting with my friends, and uh, one of the guy who is a journalist, uh, he was saying, okay, like before that it was like 50-50 that it might happen. Now it's like 30-70 that like it will not happen. And then it happened. And uh, I don't know, I, I wasn't I, able to know... think. I was just able to, you know, adjust in short-term perspective because uh, you don't uh, see what will happen after like two years or after half a year even. And I would say, say that I still have this. I, I can't plan for very long future. And I don't know if it is fully okay, but I decided that I will uh, stick with this uh, living here and now perspective because uh, it's something I uh, like. I feel confident now. You can't eat the whole chicken at the, at the same time, but you can eat it like piece by piece, bite by bite. So like this is my strategy for for now. I think that's, that's, that's uh, you know, not that, it needs any of my affirmation, but I think you know the chicken is a very good is a very good uh, saying. I will definitely take that up in my repertoire, and uh, and I think that's absolutely right. You know, it's interesting for me. I asked the question because I also understand. I have the I have the very privileged view of the non concerned, right? And I believe that always makes a big difference in how you approach something. So what I mean by that, I I am not part of this war in a way. I feel I am on an emotional level. Um, and by, you know, thinking that Ukraine needs to have our unwavering support and that I try to keep myself informed, but I'm not concerned. This, this, this war is not in my backyard, right? So, and because it's not, yeah. I obviously have a different view and perspective on everything. And it's interesting that you would say that because, you know, while this was happening, all the privileged, non-concerned people were talking about in the media about how long Ukraine would last and how long uh, it would take for Russia to take over Ukraine entirely and Kiev and all of that. A few weeks, most experts said. And then when I ask you, you're like, I, I, that did not really concern me so much. I was, it was more about the, my immediate circumstances. Right. This is what was uh, more important to me. So this is, I think, very interesting to hear that there is this paradigm shift. And very often the way you see things has obviously to do uh, with your with your direct um, consequences of, of what it is. And the view of the privileged non-concerned, I think, is something that we should also be uh, more, more concerned of and rather ask questions to people that are directly concerned and have them um, give their perspective. It's much more important. Um, so then you were in in uh, in in Sharm el Sheikh, and are you still what you describe now? Are you still taking it day by day? Um, you, because you also have found work in an agency now in Sharm el Sheikh. For I think it's a it's a it's it's a commercial agency, right? An ad agency. Uh, yes, yes. My company is called Sinai Media Club, and mostly we do some uh, commercials for hotels, restaurants. Um, Sometimes we also shoot events like a climate conference, which took place in November, or also some smaller events for, I don't know, for schools or for some uh, artists who perform their concerts in uh, hotels. 
sometimes I also deal with small businesses like uh, car rent or whatever, and sometimes we shoot weddings. So basically, you know, there is, uh, um, I think in Europe, as well as in Ukraine, you have uh, more kind of specialization. So if you do commercials and music videos, you don't do TV series and uh, movies. And if you do events, you don't do I don't know, commercials and TV series. Here it's not the strict because uh, Sharm el-Sheikh is actually very small. Uh, sometimes for me, who lived my whole life in Kiev, it even feels like, you know, like a village. It's not a village, actually. It's a town by the sea for tourists, but still uh, there is not much uh, filmmakers here. I actually think we're one of very, very few. So that's why uh, mm-hmm. we can like basically do different kind of projects, both big for hotels and small for some private people. And also we have a photography office apart from our uh, main video office. And uh, we can do photography for like, for tourists or for boats or whatever. So yeah, this is uh, like a brief description of what I'm doing now. Uh, and actually, yeah, they also, I don't know if I mentioned it today or not, uh, basically before... Uh, before the invasion of Russia, I was uh, in film industry. I was mostly managing or uh, directing, and but I didn't work with the camera with my own hands. So I was most on, like, I don't know, on uh, either or creative part or organizing part. And now I'm also on the manual part because uh, I learned how to work with camera, with stabilizers, and uh, now I'm also a videographer. So, yeah. Good. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry you started with, yes, with my planning day by day. So, yeah, I would say yes. now I'm on the stage of months by, months by months, maybe something like that. But uh, I mean, right. okay, I like for example, currently I know that uh, actually uh, during New Year, uh, I went to Dubai from this, like this agency sent me to Dubai to film a New Year party. And now we're also thinking maybe we will, move to Dubai or maybe part of the agency will move to Dubai. So basically now I, I know that maybe after three months or six months, I will be in Dubai. Maybe I will not. I'm not sure about this. So I can plan like for this perspective, but I still don't know what I will do after the war because I don't know like when the war will finish. And uh, actually I miss uh, the level of the projects I had before because uh, I was shooting like I was shooting short movies with my friends and they had the script of my own short movie and I was working on TV series. And uh, of course, these projects are bigger and more more creative than what I'm doing now because, of course, you can compare films and uh, commercials. In films, you have, uh, you have actors, you have uh, the job to do with them, you want them to perform in this or that way and you're telling a story and it's... Uh, much more, you know, much more inspiring. But I also don't know what level of uh, film industry we'll have after the war. Because the problem is actually a lot of specialists, a lot of, a lot of Ukrainians in general, they moved abroad. And uh, we never know what percentage will come back or what percentage has already settled down somewhere else and uh, already found job place to live, maybe, I don't know, maybe new friends, maybe a spouse or whatever. So that was actually another interesting question to discuss because many people whom I know who 
like turned out to be abroad or just away from their home in other cities of Ukraine, somewhere on the West. No one has a feeling how deep you should, uh, you know, how deep you should root. So yeah. how long you will how long you will spend there and yeah, this feeling of uh, not knowing your future of. Uh, like uh, und- uh, of feeling uh, this indefinity. It's something that stresses a lot, but I would say that this uh, approach, which I described like day by day, week by week, it is something that uh, helps you to stick with the moment and not to worry about uh, something in a long-term perspective. Well, basically, th- this is the, so- the solution I found uh, for myself here. And actually, Egypt with its attitude to plans and to time is a lot of uh, like... It's much helpful to create this uh, perspective and uh, to overcome the fear of future. So, yeah, maybe I'm lucky that I'm here. Yes, I do want to hear you, though, also with the being uprooted and, it, it you know, like being in limbo in a way. I, I When you describe that to me, it sounds a little bit like, you know, like life's promise to you was broken in a way. There was a time when there was a future and you didn't have to, I mean, maybe that's a little pathetic, but in my head, that that's kind of what it feels like. You know, we all feel there's a future waiting for us and it's ours to claim in a way. Um, and all of a sudden, without any doing of your own, everything has collapsed. All of that, you know, that those not necessarily straight lines, but those paths that you kind of saw for yourselves are all in question. And, and I think that is... I imagine at least uh, a, a very heavy burden to carry as well. Yes, Bastian, exactly. Uh, for myself, and uh, I think I'm not the only person. Uh, like you have, like for example, uh, me personally, I didn't uh, ever wanted to move abroad for con- like for, like forever or for a long time. So yes, I like uh, like I always loved to travel, but it was always like a vacation for a couple of days or maybe a couple of weeks. But I never, uh, I never saw myself living abroad for long, not for studies, not for a job, not for anything. Because I had uh, Kiev and I had home in Kiev, and uh, yes, basically I had a settled life in Kiev. And uh, then I just okay, I'm here now, and technically I can come back, but it's not safe, and uh, it's not that I can do a lot of useful stuff there now and uh, basically my industry is uh, like not in the best condition now and all right so i kind of need to start from scratch of course it was stressful but anyway like looking on it from the filmmaker perspective basically it's some new experience which i didn't expect to have but it's something i can uh, reflect afterwards in uh, my movies and uh, it is just another point of view from the life because, uh, to be honest, like I had quite a comfy life in Kiev, and it's not that I had to work a lot for it because uh, from my childhood I had pretty much everything that I needed, and uh, I felt on the safe side because I know I have my parents; they will always help, and all of that. And uh, now I understand that yes, my parents can still help, but they're away, and I need to to solve all the issues myself and I like at home I had uh, we had our own place here I need to rent uh, and I need to 
like I understand that I'm more dependable on my salary now than I used to be in Ukraine. So basically for me, it was also some kind of becoming an adult, I would say. I don't know, maybe it sounds strange, but uh, yeah, I no. think uh, un- unless you you are forced to move away from your safe shell, you cannot be fully considered like an adult or someone who is responsible for his or her decisions fully. And now I would say I made a step towards this. So, yeah. Can I, I admire your self-reflection and your positivity. It's, it's, uh, it, it, it really, it's, it's amazing because, um, this is not normal that you would look at what we just discussed and you turn around and you look at it in an optimistic and positive way. I really admire that. And uh, even though I don't want to make this too general um, because this is obviously you and you deserve the praise for it. And nonetheless, I have to say it's something that I feel I pick up on with almost all Ukrainians I speak with. Um, This is something I feel is one of the major strengths. And if you look at Ukrainian history, Uh, and the three Maidans, like they always come up and the, the incredible force that lies with, with, the, with the people of Ukraine in changing their own fate by also mm-hmm. collectively expressing their opinion. Um, it, is, it is something that I, I have so much admiration for and I find it again and again and again in the people I speak with and, and it, 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 it humbles me very much. So this is, uh, this is amazing um, of you to say that. Um, and, and, uh, and because I was going to ask you about the future as well, um, I actually had the question down here also between the TV and the film scene working creatively like you did in Ukraine and now doing commercial work, uh, which you have already answered. So I think that's something that you will obviously that you miss, like you said, um, if you look at how you've grown and your experiences that you've now made in Egypt as well. What, what hopes do you have for the future in terms of your work with new skills also that you learned? Has uh, it changed your outlook? I would say that uh, recently I started to concentrate more on how camera works and not only about the, uh, I don't know which buttons to press or which lens to use, but also uh, from the storytelling camera perspective. Uh, because basically, I would say that uh, um, during my uh, film school studies, uh, I uh, it's something I wasn't very strong in. Because storytelling actors was uh, something easier to me than storytelling camera. I mean, uh, I will try to explain what exactly I mean. For example, you have a scene, like you have two people talking. You can shoot them in different ways. You can put camera in uh, different places. You can uh, be closer. You can be further. You can have your camera steady. You can move it. So basically what I'm talking about, uh, what I mean by storytelling camera is uh, which exactly shots you choose to tell the story of this conversation with your camera. And uh, recently I started to read in more literature about it to concentrate on how it is done in movies, which I watch, and I always watch a lot. And uh, I really hope that uh, this year, or maybe how much it will take further, I don't know. So I think that during this time, I will be able to, you know, to fill this gap, which I had before, 
of how to use camera to express my story better. And uh, I really hope that it will help me to become a better director in the future. Because as I already mentioned, I had a short uh, movie script and I was actually planning to come back uh, from vacation and uh, to start working on this movie. I already gathered my team. Uh, so yeah, so I hope that I will uh, come back to this story. Of course, I will need to update it to new realities. Uh, okay, that will be like a, like a, a sideline of the story I'm telling, but uh, basically I'm pretty sure that uh, during the war and the first years after the war, uh, this or that way, most of the movies and the literature and the music and the whatever is created by Ukrainians will be somehow connected to war. Maybe not directly, maybe you will have uh, the war on the background or just, you know, just some little mentionings or you maybe you will have uh, the characters who are ex-soldiers or ex-volunteers or whatever. But basically it's something that touched every Ukrainian. It's not like in 2014 that, okay, we had the war in uh, East and uh, we had Crimea occupied. So basically it's like three regions out of 24 or 25. So it didn't touch directly a lot of people then, but it did now. So for every Ukrainian, war is not something far away. It's something that you have to live with every day. Even if you're not in Ukraine now, even if you, I don't know, even if you're abroad or even if you're in a safe region, it's something you are related to and you can't help it. And of course, for all the creative people, uh, normally creative people reflect what they feel, reflect what hurts them in their music, literature, movies, whatsoever, paintings. So yeah, I'm pretty sure it will influence a lot of uh, our creatives. So yeah, as I mentioned, I will need to update my story and I also have an idea as how exactly to update it. And uh, I guess that I will uh, I will shoot this movie and, uh, and with better understanding of what I want to do with my director of photography, with my cameraman. And actually, I was also thinking about uh, making a documentary while I'm here in Egypt uh, about uh, a Ukrainian woman who has married a Bedouin like many years ago, about 15 or 20 years ago. Uh, I don't know oh, wow. if you ever heard about Bedouins, but basically they're like yes. another nationality. Yeah, and uh, it is more or less closed society, which lives like in Egypt, in Emirates, and in other uh, African countries. And uh, they just, they live in the desert normally, and they move from place to place. And it's very untypical uh, for a Bedouin to marry even, for example, in Egypt, to marry e Egyptian. Because Bedouins are, like, they're separate from everyone else. And uh, this Bedouin, he married a Ukrainian, so a foreigner, Agnabeya, as they call it. Uh, as they call That's an amazing uh, story here. already. Yeah, yeah. And uh, they have like four kids, four sons. And right. uh, they're like half Bedouins, half Ukrainians. And uh, I just think that uh, this family would make an interesting uh, like collective hero to a movie. And uh, basically, if I have a like a gap in between my work uh, because my boss was saying that maybe he will go for uh, like uh, for investigation in Dubai for about a month and I was thinking that maybe during this month I would be able to film uh, this family and 
to tell a story, you know, how war influenced them and uh, how they result, like uh, how they resulted into like living in this not very typical way and how they are yes. thinking like now they're living in an apartment in a, like in a local area actually nearby me and uh, but they also have a house in the desert with other beddings and they're thinking either to move there or not to move so i think there is a lot to explore there i'm not sure that uh, like i was thinking that maybe a woman could be the main character but uh, like i'm not still sure about it but anyway, I think I should try to to tell their story to the world, and it will be something about Ukraine and also not a typical point of view. So I think it would be interesting. I, I think it sounds like an amazing story also, and, and this is not that you need this in any way, but what comes to mind with me uh, and is just, you because we're also talking about being uprooted, right? Um, about kind of this not knowing where you belong. And then you have a love story of a Bedouin, a nomad, even though he might not be nomadic now, like you said, right? And, and a Ukrainian woman. I think just that alone is something that is amazing to explore. But uh, by all means, you will find your own way of exploring this. Uh, don't don't take my word for it or my idea in, in any way, if you will. No problem at all either. Whatever you want. But um, that sounds like an amazing idea. So I think um, that's... Uh, I, I'm already looking forward to seeing uh, this piece. So please keep me posted uh, if you have the time and everything to do it because I would very much love to see that. Uh, that's a great project. Um, so I, I actually now in closing, I would I would like to ask you um, what are your hopes for Ukraine outside of you know your work and 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 work related topics, of course, and besides obviously that this war ends as soon as possible. Um, what are your other hopes for a, a, a long-term future, maybe? Mm, I would say that currently war is being a stress, of course, uh, but sometimes, mm. you know, sometimes when you're in a stress uh, situation, you just, you find out a new perspective and you find out a new possibilities and uh, to even express yourself and to show uh how good you can work because even now you know during uh, during this time when you have a lot of limitations and a lot of problems there are new projects not only in filmmaking i mean like in general like in it industry in banking whatever new projects are launching and people of course they need to adapt to new realities so sometimes they just have to i don't know create new applications or uh, to like to monitor, uh, to monitor the attacks and whatever. For for example, we actually have a big, uh, a big jump in digitalization in developing uh, internet banking and also like the key application about public transport and uh, about uh, uh, like state of the air, about some services. So basically, war also made a push to digitalization, I would say. So I think that eventually, after war finishes, we will have a, you know, of course, we will have a, like, I'm sorry, I can't keep my mind all together. Uh, we'll have to deal with the consequences of war, of course, because there are a lot of mines yes. everywhere, and we need to make our fields and our forests 
it's safe again. But from but at the end, we will already have some stuff which we developed during war, and uh, I think it will inspire us to make all the services for citizens even better and better with how we adapt to the realities, with how our institutions and uh, private companies adapt. Actually, this is pretty much amazing. Like, uh, maybe I will just mm. give some of examples. Uh, By all means, like, please. Uh, yes. Uh, okay, internet banking. Uh, a lot of our bank cards, bank cards were prolonged for maybe a year because people are basically they're abroad. They can't... Uh, they, they can't come back to prolong their bank cards. And there is a bank oh. card delivery to abroad. Yes. And also our post service, uh, Nova Posta, which is translated like new post, they started opening their offices in uh, some European countries for people to be able to use it and to send uh, some stuff to their relatives and friends abroad and to receive um, Wow. And also, I read a lot of stories uh, from people who went to Europe that a lot of services, like, I don't know, like nails, like hairdresser, like medical services in Ukraine, they are cheaper, they are better, and they are easier to access. Because in Europe, you basically need to schedule all these appointments like weeks in advance, right? So you can't just come and, okay, I need tomorrow. Not for the hairdresser. Well, ah, well, mm, well, yeah. I, first of all, I think there's still a wide variety in Europe itself as well. I mean, and sometimes in Europe itself, things are very different in various countries. Um, and uh, yeah, it, it depends. Yes, usually you, I mean, doctor's appointments, for instance, in Germany, I know that they, they take forever, right? Like yeah. a hair, hairdresser's appointment could be a few days if you're lucky. Sometimes you're luckier than that. It depends. It really varies. But um, so I don't know how quick it was in Ukraine. Was it like same day? Uh, or something like that like so, so maybe i don't know same not same day but basically like tomorrow or after tomorrow you can always reach someone and the same is with doctors i mean like it's mm. not that you're waiting uh for like if you have an like if you need to visit a doctor maybe, maybe yes it will like if it's not an emergency it will take a day or two if it is an emergency of course you can find some doctors the same day so okay, emergencies yes. in Germany and also there is there's infrastructure for that, of course. Like somebody that has yeah, yeah. their the head under their arm will not have to wait for a couple of months, obviously. Um, but yeah, but doctors' appointments generally they can take a few months. Uh, in some cases, that's so those are extreme cases, but it can really take some time. Yeah. Yeah, but I, I mean that a lot of people who went abroad now they realize that. Uh, Actually, a lot of stuff in Ukraine, which you took for granted, which was, okay, that should be like that. Like, there is other option. Yes, there is other option. And in Europe, for example, it's not that good and comfortable as you're used to. What I'm thinking is, is interesting because now what you said, obviously, if you go somewhere else and you experience it, not just visiting, but if you spend some more time there, um, it again puts things in a new perspective. And I think it could be a good perspective because, and correct me if I'm wrong, because this is obviously a podcast where I generally don't know shit and I need my guests to really tell me what's right and what's not. Um, because the topic of Ukraine is obviously something you know so far and much more about than I do. Um, but, but is it, is it safe to say that there's always been like, a, 
a glance towards Europe as well with kind of like things are kind of good and maybe not better, but, you know, as a, as a reference point of we want better. to improve things so that it matches in those lines a little bit more. And now you actually then you realize, yeah, you know, the grass is maybe not always greener on the other side and which is actually also maybe a positive thing for you to then also, you know, transform certain things and appreciate certain things that you already have in place in Ukraine. Yes, Bestin, I totally agree. I would even say that maybe like uh, it is something like after Soviet perspective, you know, when Soviet Union just uh, broke and of course, first years were very complicated and uh, like our parents, they they already got used to think that somewhere else is better. For example, Europe is better, like, I don't know, states are better, that people there have, I don't know, mm. like less corruption, better services, better salaries, but like, you know, many people forget, but they also have like higher prices with better salaries, yes. So yeah, and everyone is thinking, yes, there was a glance to the Europe and uh, now I understand that some, like uh, some points are actually already more developed even this internet banking which i said like uh, and documents actually i have some applications in my phone with one i can access to most of my documents for like driving license car license digital uh, passport foreign passport and all of that and in another application i have um, a banking application and they can open another bank card or another account just from this application and i don't need to go to bank physically, or I'd, I know that in Germany it used to be like, they send you letters, like one letter with a card, yes. one letter with a PIN code, and you need to have address. And if you don't you have address... You're very well informed, uh, Anastasia. You're problem. very well informed. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. My uh, my friend from school, uh, she went to Germany to study, and uh, yeah, she, she was very stressed during the first months with this document stuff. So yeah, basically now oh, we yeah. have, uh, in some ways, we're even more advanced and uh, the life for like simple citizens is more comfortable and less problematic. You know, because you have been leading with example throughout this conversation today um, to see a chance in certain things or in everything, actually, you've been doing that very much. So let's see a chance in that as well, that this will also have the positive um, a positive influence on a future Ukraine that is free of war and at peace. And this is uh, something that I hope for, and, and I know you hope for that, and I think everybody who's listening to this podcast as well. Um, now I have just one um, final question for you, actually, and that would be, do you have any uh, Ukrainian um, NGOs, uh, aid agencies that people can maybe donate money to if they have something to spare? Is there anything that you are familiar with that's something that you know that you support yourself? Or um, or I, I have various ones as well, but I always want to have it from the people in the podcast because they obviously have a different insight. Uh, actually, yes. Uh, I'm not sure how how exactly it works for foreigners, but uh, like actually, if you want, I think I can give you links afterwards. I will uh, find out how exactly. But there is there is Gladly. one main account, uh, for, yes, uh, in our ba national bank for all the donations, uh, and there are also some uh, private organizations. For example, uh, uh, Sergei Pratula found uh, 
about the way for foreigners, once again, I need to check because for me, once again, it's just built in into my application, <laughs> bank application, and I can just <laughs> yes. open it and uh, click donate. <laughs> yeah. And also sometimes I see uh, my friends collecting uh, money for their friends or their relatives uh, for cars, for uh, some, you know, like wizards or this sort of yeah. stuff. Gladly, gladly. I will link to that. Also, with your permission, obviously, I, I can link to some of your work in the show notes if 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 you like. Um, let me know. We'll talk after if yeah, there's sure. anything that you that's that's uh, that you want to share. Um, and you know, all I can say in closing is um, I wish you all the best. I I believe that. You know, sooner or later, it will be fantastic when you will be able to return to Ukraine because after everything we've discussed with the, you know, the the evolution of film in a country as well and being the cultural value that film has also to transform a society, I think Ukraine needs people like you who are passionate, who are willing to improve their game and, game and grow and you are that. So Ukraine needs you and I hope that you will be able to return very, very soon uh, to do what you love. Um, so it was a great pleasure to have you today, Anastasia. Thank you very much for taking the time. And uh, I'm sending you um, all my best wishes for the future and we stay in touch. Thank you, Bestin. It was a great conversation. and I'm glad that I was part of it. And this brings us to the end of this week's ride in the yellow van. Thank you very much for coming along with us today. And thank you, Anastasia, for your trust in me and the work we do at Mind the Bump Productions and for your stories and insights. For more information on Anastasia's work, go to the links in the show notes. If you are Ukrainian and would like to come on the show or know someone who should, please don't hesitate to contact us. We are always happy and grateful for anyone reaching out to us on www.yellowvanstories.com where you can also leave us your general feedback or ideas for improvements. We are currently setting up new interviews, so follow us on social media for updates on the next episodes. Until then, keep loving in the face of fear and stand with Ukraine. Take it away, Jim.
you're